This is Steve Richards on 105.9 The Mountain. And New Jersey-based rocker Skid Row are one of the most successful acts in the early 90s and quickly became a predominant force in the genre. Their youth, ambition, and knack for writing catchy songs helped attract a worldwide following. Since their debut album, Skid Row, has generated multi-platinum success and massive hits, including 18 in Life, Monkey Business, I Remember You, and Youth Gone Wild. To their very latest album that came out uh, this past October, The Gang's All Here, Skid Row's career is taking them from their humble beginnings to headlining festivals with over 500,000 in attendance. I'm happy to have Rachel Bolin, the bassist, songwriter from Skid Row, join me now. Rachel, it has been... Man, how do I live up to all that? <laughs> I know. And it's and it's and it has been a while now for you, a long time with this band. There were some breaks. Um, you've gone through, what, four or five lead singers with this band. So I want to go back to when you first met Snake and how it all started in New Jersey. It just started out like, hey, let's sit down and write some songs, and we did. And we're like, man, you know, why don't we uh, think about putting a band together? So um, Scotty was in the band with me, and then he had some guys with him, and, and we eventually just built Skid Row. And, uh, you know, we, we've, <laughs> I think I've spoken to Snake more than I've talked to anyone in my family or any ex-girlfriend, ex-wife. But <laughs> it's like I speak to Snake just about three, four times a day, I think. Why do you think you've lasted so long? Uh, well, the Snake and I, I think, have lasted so long because, honestly, we're just completely honest with each other. And, and you know, we, we, we have a, a really good thing as far as songwriting goes we just understand each other's strengths and we understand each other's weaknesses and and i think it's kind of in life that way too and as far as skid row we love doing what we're doing so we took a break because we weren't having any fun and we didn't know whether it was a permanent break or, or a temporary break but ended up being temporary and uh yeah we just we just love doing what we do and we know that a lot of people are still into our music, which is just such a great feeling, especially the era we came out of. Seems like that a, a lot of bands just kind of either didn't want to do it anymore or there just wasn't a demand, you know. Uh, and thankfully, there's still a demand to hear Skid Row songs, which is great. And the main thing on top of all that, I think, is making new music. We need to create. We need to make new records. And... We're just everything is going so well right now, like with with the gangs all here. You know, we charted in countries and and this stuff hasn't happened in a while, you know, and just working with a producer like Nick Graski Linux, it's just it's the icing on the cake, you know, and we worked really hard on this record. And uh, here we are. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Graski Linux. Uh, Nick has worked with the Foo Fighters and Hailstorm, too. How'd you get together with Nick? Um, we're neighbors. We, uh, he lives literally a mile from me and we had met before that, uh, here in Nashville. Um, real briefly, he was at a, a, uh, a concert, the same concert I was at, I think it was Slipknot. And we were just talking like, Hey man, let's meet up for drinks and dinner and whatever. And one night he goes, let's make a skid row record. And I was like, are you serious? If you're serious, I'll make it happen. <laughs> you know, cause we were all fans of his work. So. Um, yeah, it, it, then after a little while, you know, it, it happened and then, uh, you know, we, we changed vocalists right in the middle of everything and, um, you know, everything just came together. 
Yeah, another uh, new uh, lead vocalist in the band Skid Row, Eric uh, Gronwell. Uh, what is Eric like? How, how did you find him? Eric was in a band called Heat from Sweden, and um, they were opening for Skid Row. And we just took notice of his vocals. You know, we're like, wow, he's a really good singer. And in the back of my head, I was like, ah, maybe I'll, I'll reach out to the guy to do a, a side project or something. And, um, you know, when it came down to it, when we knew we were going to make a change, he just, at that point, he put out a cover of 18 in Life. And we're like, well, we know he could sing the old stuff, <laughs> you know. And he's a creative guy, really creative guy. So we said, hey, why don't you, uh, it was kind of a sly way of auditioning him, why don't you sing these songs the way you're hearing them in your head? And so we sent him a few new songs, and he did it. And we were, we were really happy with the outcome. And then we asked him, you know, to join the band. Because when it came time when we knew we were going to make a change, he was on the short list. So it, uh, it all worked out really well. His voice is a perfect fit. There's a great story behind it. How we were one of his favorite bands growing up. And, it, uh, you know, and he, he's become a very, uh, like a family member, you know, uh, like a brother to us. And like we all are to each other. And it, it happened very quickly, which is good, which is real good because you never know, you know, when you take a chance like that. We had to, we we literally had to. He finished the record pretty much in Sweden, except for a couple songs, and we had a residency with the Scorpions coming up. So we're like, we all just kind of dove in head first, and luckily it wasn't the shallow end. Yeah, you had that residency with the Scorpions last year, and by the way, you can see Skid Row, Rachel and Eric, and the whole band March twenty fifth. Uh, here in North Carolina, in Greensboro, they'll be with uh, Buck Cherry at Piedmont Hall. So this studio album, your first in 16 years, Rachel, what was that process like going back into the studio and recording with Snake and everyone? <clears throat> well, we recorded some EPs in between, but it was it was great. And we give Nick a lot of credit for helping us retrace our steps because it's when you've been around as long as Skid Row has, it's kind of, it's not as easy to, to find your roots as you would think. Um, but he, Nick was a fan of the band before he ever was a producer. So he wanted to make his favorite Skid Row record. And he really got us, he'd be like, you know what? That doesn't sound like you guys. Like you, you're, It sounds like you guys are afraid to be Skid Row. You know, you're not Skid Row enough. And I was like, I was like, does that even make sense? And then when I was driving home from pre-production that day, I was like, that makes total sense. And we just got in and we, we put our trust completely in Nick of what he wanted to do with the songs. And there really was never a moment where it's like never a raised voice, never. We always, you know, hey, man, we'd always approach it. Hey, man, I... I I feel really strongly about doing this part, and I think it's really good for the song. And thankfully, with the with the you know technology these days, if you don't like a part once it's recorded, just go in there and snip it out. You know, it's a lot easier than cutting tape with a razor blade. But um, you know, we never got to that point. It's just like I hear you. You're right. I hear you. And it went it went both ways. You know, Nick heard us out with parts that we were passionate about. Maybe he didn't want. He didn't think it was right, and then 
we did it. And at the end of the day, we were all like, you know what? This is this is such a great combo between band and producer because he was old school, man. He just he got in there during during pre-production with the songs that we already had written, and we just tore them down to bare bones and rebuilt them. And it worked really well for us. And we hadn't had, you know, we haven't had that kind of guidance in a while. And to be this long in the tooth, sometimes your ego might get in the way. But we all knew that Nick was for the greater good of Skid Row. And and we got an album that we're all super proud of. Yeah, the new album is called The Gang's All Here, uh, Time Bomb, uh, one of the singles (laughs) off of that uh, album. Who came up with the name Skid Row? Um. Nick and I were driving to rehearsal, and we were just trying to think of names for the band. And it wasn't even like the like the formation that it ended up being. But we we're trying to think of names of the band, and we, we were on the Garden State Parkway, and we we're just throwing stuff out there. And I'm being a punk rock kid, I always liked bands with the name The before it, you know. Mm. And so we. Uh, we have, we're coming up on an area that they just cleaned. They must have just cleared the road of a pretty big accident because there was literally from one side to the other and down the exit lane and in the shoulder and in the dirt, there were just skid marks everywhere. And so I go, what about the skids? And Snake goes, what about Skid Row? And I go, and I look, and I remember looking at him and looking at my pants and seeing how they had they were just falling apart basically and then looking at the the ashtray when they used to put ashtrays in cars that had didn't even have enough toll money in it <laughs> that we were gonna have to <laughs> run tolls to get up to north jersey for rehearsal i'm like i think that's pretty accurate <laughs> and so that's that's how it was born man hey rachel speaking of not having any money i heard you tell a story once about uh how you uh would eat with a jc penny credit card yeah, man. Uh, yeah, there was times where I was broke as a joke, you know, and and uh, so a buddy of mine who was still still he's like another brother to me. He uh, he goes, man, you know what I did? I just got a J.C. Penny credit card, and I just go to the cafeteria. And he goes, you'll be the youngest by about sixty years in the in the little cafeteria there. He goes, but. You don't have to pay for it. Nah, you just have to pay for it at the end of the month. Do it in installments. <laughs> like, this is awesome. I ate a lot of breaded shrimp and wilted salad and vegetable soup. <laughs> so this band has always had a great work ethic, even back to those early days in what your parents' garage. What what was the support like from your parents? My parents, in particular, um, were completely supportive. Like, had it not been for the way they taught me to work at no matter what I did. Um, my dad always had, he had a saying, it was never be afraid of hard work. And yeah. I took that to heart early on. And um, it, it, it carried over into being in a band. And just, you know, sometimes everything's not going to be exactly how you want it to be, you know, <clears throat> and you have to work hard. You got you, you can't build a house with just your mind. You know what I mean? That's what my dad did. And he built houses and he worked hard. But at the end of the day, he sold that house to a family and went on to build another house, you know. So I, I put that ethic across the board. Whatever job I had, even if it was a shitty job, 
sorry, even if it was a crappy job <laughs> that I didn't like, I did it to the best of my ability so that the, someone would take notice and go, wow, I, I, here's a, for instance, I used to do landscaping and it was hard. It, and you know how hot it gets up north. Oh, yeah. And it was just one of the, like, it was dirty. I was always had sand in my eyes. It was an early start. It was like sun up to sundown. And I just worked my ass off because I wanted to get paid. If I had to put in extra hours, I get paid extra. And I just wanted to do it. And right from there, I'd go to rehearsal, take a shower at my guitar player's house, and we'd rehearse. And this is what I did every day for a year. And was it the job I wanted? No. But it's funny enough, the boss, said to me he goes man if you because he knew i was in a band he goes if you worked work as half as hard on your band as you do at this job digging holes and moving bricks and <laughs> cutting down trees you're gonna make it man and you know i, I i'll never forget him saying that because i was like yeah i do work hard don't i <laughs> so it's just one of those things that 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 was all all the way we all think and the way we still do think. Is everything going to be great all the time? No. A lot of times these days, yeah, it's pretty cush, man. We get picked up in in nice cars and we get we get shuffled around and we get flown here and there. It all sounds pretty glamorous, but there's still hard work involved, and you always have to keep that in mind that things just don't fall, you know, into your lap. You have to work at it, no matter what it is. You grew up in New Jersey. Um, the influence of John Bon Jovi on this band. Him and Snake grew up together. They they were buddies. They were friends. Um, they lived a one minute walk, you know, on the next block. And um, for those of us who know what the next block means, I think everybody in the Northeast knows. What yes. that means. So the next street over, and uh, they grew up together. And, you know, talk about work ethic. This uh, is John is, is the perfect example of a strong work ethic. So um, him and Snake were buddies, and he, uh, you know, they made a promise to each other. If, if one of us gets successful, we're going to help the other one out. And that's what John did. And he helped us out a lot. And, uh, you know, we're still very close friends to this day, especially with Snake. Those guys are, are they're like family. What's the most valuable lesson John taught you about songwriting? Um, not to get self-indulgent. Um, you know, he would read some of the lyrics when we, we first uh, started writing songs and Snake and I first got together, and he'd, he'd say straight up, I love these. These are great. You know what it means, and points to me, and he points to Snake, he goes, you know what it means. He goes, you're the only two in the room. You're the only two in the country that are going to know what this means. And he goes, you just got to think of what, you know, the kid in New Jersey is going to think of this and the, and the kid in Des Moines, Iowa, and the kid in Los Angeles. You got you to gotta think broader. He goes, so that your music appeals to more people. He goes, you don't have to sell out. He goes, you just got to think, you know, don't, don't be self-indulgent. Don't make it just for you to understand because what good is that? You'll go out and buy the record. No one else will. And you'll go to play in front of the mirror because no one's going to be at your show. <laughs> so, you know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but yeah, that was that was a really important lesson. And he also taught us the lesson of, for me personally, is don't be afraid to ask questions. Just ask all the questions you want, 
you know, and I do, I still do. If I don't, if I see something, be like, all right, explain this to me, would you? You know, there's nothing wrong with learning something every day. So Eric uh, joined up uh, in uh, April of last year. Sounds about right. Yeah, we or maybe it was March. Maybe it was March because I think we had say we talked a lot before because he was he was recording the record, his vocals. But uh, I mean, we met him face to face four days before our first show. This tour here kicks off in March, and again March twenty fifth here in North Carolina in Greensboro with Buck Cherry at Piedmont Hall right across the way from where another famous New Jersey rocker will be playing that night, Bruce Springsteen, too. So it's it's a oh, big wow. Jersey night in uh, Greensboro that night. Oh, that's so cool. All right, Rachel Bolin, the new album is The Gang's All Here from Skid Row, and uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, man.